G'day everybody, welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we are in uh, Rushcutters Bay and we're chatting with Raina Takeuchi. G'day Raina. Hi Matt. <laughs> and How are you? we're also um, faced with some delicious snacks to help us through that Raina has kindly catered for us as one of her perks at 4A. <laughs> Uh, do you want, is there anything you would like us to know about you for context? Um, what you call yourself or what it is that you do or what you hope to do or where you're from or who you, I don't know, anything like that, your legacy or... <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like, um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm definitely, um, I wouldn't say that I have a legacy at all yet. in any way. Not I, yet. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I, w- I would love to at some point, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's just, it's been a really nice process actually of figuring figuring that part out, but I'll, I'll get to that later, I think. Um, I I guess I'll just introduce myself. I'm Raina Takeuchi. I'm an um, Australian-Japanese artist and researcher, so a lot of my stuff has kind of been working with different types of institutional spaces, including like um, art galleries and um, you know, art within university situations. Mm-hmm. But then also um, within that, I've been working as a dance maker and um, uh, I guess like curating and choreographing. Um, but I wouldn't call myself a choreographer and yeah, I wouldn't call yet. myself a, cu- curator. a curator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, this yeah. is exciting because there's lots of becoming, it seems like. When do you think you might... How will you know when you have become a choreographer or when you have become a curator? I was actually thinking about this question when, actually when you approached me about um, chatting because um, I was thinking about how I kind of like to shy away from choreographic sort of like specification. I feel like um, something about using dance maker or like being a maker actually feels much more um yeah it feels like a bit more of a home home ground I guess Mm. because even within like talking about cultural dancing or um forming dances I feel like there's something that when you're making a dance it's much more community focused and it feels communal and the same with like the curatorial I feel like talking about curating as a as a profession can feel a little bit like um yeah, you, you can kind of imagine some of the stereotypes that come through with that specification. Right, but like it becomes a little usury or something. Like yeah. There's a hierarchy and then there's value being traded rather than people together forming something. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my, my friends actually, he's got a really funny Instagram called um, Installers Gotta Eat. Oh, yeah. And the whole thing is like different memes about curators doing um kind of not great things to installers and the art community oh yeah okay yeah so as i have at the beginning of this year taken on a role in which the title is digital artist curator what are some things that i should not do what are some some things that i could fall into accidentally through through the sheer uh weight of self-importance that comes with that title because you, I think, have been a curator longer than I have. 
and you've been denying the curator title. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if I've I've necessarily been denying it, but I think I think I'm kind of working through what it what it means, and nice. I think that um, originally when some of um, the work was happening and I was figuring out what it was to curate different different things, I realized that actually it kind of can come into process when you're art making or when you're constructing performances so often. Mm. And um, I feel like it's not a matter of, of um, maybe what you shouldn't be doing, but actually what what comes into it or what it should what the process should bring out, which I think um, my favorite things are when when um, curators or people working in like curatorial practice talk about um, sharing food with artists mm. or like um, as we're doing <laughs> as we <laughs> <Yeah>. are doing. <laughs> and um, but that just yeah. I feel like that's a part of being a host. Mm. I, mm. I remember, yeah. I remember attending a workshop that I was invited to and some of the other participants having a problem with the gregariousness of the personality of the um, artistic director. But my interpretation was that they were hosting us by making everything very clear. Like they didn't unseat themselves from the position that they had which was more knowledge about the context than we had because we were fresh into the context Um, so but I wonder if we're talking about taking care and sharing and forming um, what let's get let's get down to like methodological specifics (laughs) say for when you were recently in a triad (laughs) (laughs) and you made a a piece together and you performed it and you were I guess in that role a maker but tell me I assumed you were the choreographer but you were working collaboratively I would say um it was coming off a project where we were um so it was Billy um Galvong Jeremy Santos and I, and it was coming off a project from um, Meryl Tankard that was supported by Form Dance Projects, yeah, and um, called Mast. And we, um, from that process, realised that we really loved working together and we'd also uncovered a lot of ground for new choreographic work, which in when we reflected on it after some time away from that project, we realised that there were facets of it that really sat well together so I think it was a process of us curating or choreographing um what it meant to sort of uncover collaborative ground with each other oh that's cool yeah that's cool okay but were you choreographing on each other or on yourselves like talk to me about the process in the studio to make the thing that you then presented to people it was really fast um <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i would have to say that um i think there's something that we talk about which is like being on poc time which is um if i i guess it's specifically talking to some of the um the ideas of time coming out of like pacific islander sort of um cultures and everything but this idea that time gets really nebulous for for us and we we talk and talk and talk and then suddenly realize we only have 45 minutes to put together this thing in this studio session and um i think for people that that aren't familiar with um 
with some of the, those ways of thinking, mm. it can be frustrating, but we understood that we were like that anyway. Mm. And, um, and we sort of discussed this idea of, um, because we were, are a trio um, or a triad, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> an Asian triad, um, this idea of um, past, present and future mm. and looking at these points in time where, um, you know, I, I guess we were speaking to being from um, Asian diaspora and also completely different that Asian diaspora um, and what potentially it means to sort of share those experiences, even though in some ways um, being Asian Australian means many different things. Mm. Like, yeah, even within the politics of being from Southeast Asia versus East mm -hmm. versus, versus Central Asia, it's completely different. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, em the the different empirical powers across time. Yeah. And their assumption of superiority. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What? How did those discussions become physical and physicalized? I think we had had all had some really beautiful time by ourselves in studio spaces that were provided from form. And um, and then we've had some sort of time, I guess, being friends and also um, working on a past project together, uh, working through some of these concepts by ourselves. But also, I think it was also a process of us figuring out and letting go of um, the idea that some of these dialogues actually sit by themselves, because really, they they might they do but they also have these um you know maybe they're on these tracks that are following a similar direction or maybe they weave over each other mm. and um i think that was something that we identified as being really um yeah i guess holding space for each other which was where the title came from holding lightness yeah super nice <laughs> was there music in the mm -hmm. show yeah, yeah. The, Where did the music come from? Um, the music score was by um, a couple of friends of mine who, um, so Liam, um, Liam Ebbs and Thomas Gray, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I can I can send you the the music or uh, the Sydney based oh, sort great. of musicians. Um, oh, We can musicians. link to them as well, so people yeah. can listen to their stuff. Yeah, yeah cool. very dreamy, and um, they've kind of yeah, a lot of their work is very um, yeah, it's kind of like mesh between house music but also something that's very like dreamy and um coming in and out of yeah experiential things i guess cool. yeah how long was it the performance uh it was around half an hour each and so, it was in a yeah. gallery yeah. yeah yeah at the um museum of contemporary art mca yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not bad well i haven't performed at mca yet i did have a meeting with someone a few years ago about it the gif of dance which you were in and they were not interested so you beat me there no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i, I think say as i reach for another pocket <laughs> to soothe to soothe the sadness <laughs> oh my gosh i i i think that gif of dance was actually it was kind of one of the first professional projects that I worked on and I tried to tried to kind of be calm about it. But I think it was also a really nice way of um, it spoke to 
a lot of different um, facets that I'm looking at now. Yeah. What are you looking yeah. at now? Um, we don't have to keep talking about my work. Now yeah. we can just yeah, talk no, about no, what no, you're no. looking at. Um, I mean, I think that there was this really nice crossover between community mm. and and sharing something that was a dance but wasn't a dance. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And um, something that could be experienced in different ways. And I think um, especially coming out of um, COVID, I kind of realized oh, yeah. like, and I think a lot of dance practitioners realize this um, and have sort of, or maybe they've already realized it and I'm just getting on the train. No, no, no. <laughs> you're, you're leading the charge. Sure. <laughs> um, this idea of, uh, I guess, figuring out what dance means when when we can't dance or w- when we're not dancing mm-hmm. in a in a full time um, in the studio kind mm. of way, and um, I think GIF of Dance really touched on that, and also writing about dance or reading about writing about dance, <laughs> or like talking about reading about writing about dancing on podcasts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think most of my projects are ways to dodge the gatekeepers of resources yeah. and try and do something on as on as little budget but as much legitimacy as possible. Mm-hmm. Just, so calling the gift of dance a season mm-hmm. rather than content, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But knowing that we don't have to um, hire a theatre. And also knowing that my audience doesn't have to buy a ticket mm. and they don't have to travel into a capital city. Yeah. Um, Completely. I think that um, uh, even though on and this might be on a different note, like um, practitioners like Chloe Chignell, who mm. writes about, you know, the embodied feelings of, of, of dancing in writing, mm. in a way these types of projects are making dance accessible in different in different ways and it's it's it gives a sense of what it is to experience the movement without actually exp- like without necessarily having to go through that embodied state physically to get there i remember people telling me that yoga was pleasurable and not feeling that when i did the yoga when they're like rest in downward dog and I'm like, this is a fight the whole time. There's no rest going on here. Yeah. And it, realizing that there's a, there's a curve of skill and time that you need to spend with something until it gets to the point where it is yeah. uh, restful or pleasurable or you get to do the ride of the dance or you understand musicality enough to sit in the groove. Definitely. But yeah, seeing somebody like Amy Zhang who can just really dance a musicality to the point where you can feel it as if you're doing it, even That's though it. you're totally not on her level. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's also the way that um, I love practitioners that um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to work like in the same way as them to know what they're getting at. Like, oh, that's something that I love about being with, yeah, Amy and a few people in that work across street dance, mm-hmm. but also um, contemporary practice. Mm-hmm. It's like this kind of convergence between, okay, we feel a groove, we're having a dialogue with, you know maybe cross-cultural references mm. and all these things that are happening, but you don't even, you're not even aware of it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to think about it too hard. Yeah. You just do or the Or you dance. don't have to 
you're aware of it in a way whereby you don't have to put it into l- words. Mm. You can be in some other connection. Mm. Um, I'm interested to go back to what you were saying about that you've been thinking about your legacy. <laughs> I know you probably would not have used those words. I know you were probably much more humbly thinking about um, what it is that you can do that is of value to the people around you. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to use the word legacy. <laughs> I th- that was, I, I think it just came out on the recording and now I'm going to regret that when I listen to this whenever I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that um, it actually came out of um, I've been doing a lot of writing recently on um, the feelings I have about Japan and um, and feeling really disembodied because this this connection with homeland feels really absent. And to get back to legacy, (laughs) I think that there is something about um, I was thinking about archives of 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 knowledge and like. I was recently reading about like Min Tanaka interviewing um, or being interviewed and talking about body weather and, and, and Bhutto practice. And he was sort of saying that, you know, the archive of some of these Bhutto gestures actually came from like old farmers and being observing and the original practitioners of Bhutto observing the farmers. And then the language became codified to Bhutto practice, which is now, shared around the world mm. and um that not ne- not doesn't necessarily like live in my body but i realized like this idea that these legacies actually live beyond us and mm. i think that's something that you know dance cultural dance actually it it carries without even having to talk about it yeah I'm not sure if that really answered anything. I don't think we're here for answers. <laughs> Let's not get put ourselves under that kind of pressure. Uh, I, this is not as random as it sounds, but you surf. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> so do. there's 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 those movements in your body as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, it's also something that I think when I started surfing on the Sunshine Coast, that was. How, how old were you when you started surfing? I think it was 15 or something. It was quite oh, old, like a late really? bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> but did you grow up on the Sunshine Coast? Um, I I probably moved here around 10 years ago. So when I say here, not Sydney, to Sunshine Coast. Yeah. But yeah, right. my mum's originally from Sydney. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking about access. Like we didn't surf in Darwin because of crocodiles and jellyfish and no waves. So that was the triad that stopped the surfing. <laughs> but I, yeah, so I, even if I started now, I wouldn't consider myself a late bloomer because I didn't have access. Um, how is it? Does it feel like dancing? It, it does. I, I did actually a lot, so much of that while I was um, in lockdown. Oh, yeah? Which is, Damn, I really feel like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel a little bit guilty because... um. Basically, I would I kind of had a, a bit of a reprieve from myself and ambitions around art and dancing and working uh-huh. in arts. Uh-huh. And like while I was still working from home with 4A, I would like go and surf in the mornings and then come and log on to my laptop. <laughs> and it was a bit ridiculous, <laughs> really. And I was kind of deluding myself in 
into kind of just being a bit like getting in touch with my adolescent self again skateboarding Lovely. down to the ocean but um i think on a more serious note like with with surfing it actually um i think from that point onwards um that actually allowed me to connect with this australian landscape like yeah which is is actually interesting because i think i would go out there and that was the first time that i would really encounter other japanese women or like there was yeah or other on the waves yeah other Asian Australian women out in the water. And um, I think I was only one of a couple of students at my school that were Asian. Okay. And that was... But that was on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, yeah. It's a different thing in, in Sydney and in Melbourne. But, and in um, Darwin. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, Asia is a massive place. So, there's yes. different pockets of Indo-Asia, Asia-Pacific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very different. Yeah. Okay. And um, to see some of these really like incredible um women that weren't necessarily like yeah i guess not restricted by an identity per se but i could identify and we had would have a chat in the water and then i would never see them again other than when i'd go out again in the water and it was kind of these magical that's so magic yeah it's so dreamy (laughs) wow i wonder where i would find that kind of magic I wonder where my dream people are, <laughs> where I would just go there. And I don't know. I think it happens in all different places because I, I was talking to Asha Bowen Saunders about mm, this actually mm. and she um, talked about her experience of going to Amsterdam and performing in the Living Statues mm. Festival. <laughs> all right, I can see yeah. how that would be her people. Yeah, wow. and she said that she felt for lack of a better word for it, like she'd felt found her tribe Mm. because all of these people that congregate together have these crazy ideas of just like dressing up in these kooky little costumes and and carrying all their stuff around um, very nomadically. And um, it kind of made her realise like, oh, I'm not alone. (laughs) (laughs) There are these people. (laughs) Was that... Was that something that you did used to feel, though, about being alone? Well, like, is this... Sorry, I know you said that that was Ash's feelings. But when you were out surfing and you had come across these women that you identified with because of also shared heritage Mm. and now also shared coolness of surfing, um, did you think similarly, I'm not alone? I, I think so, yeah. I mean... I wasn't really a conscious thought. I feel like, um, but as I've gone through, I've kind of identified it more. Okay. Yeah. And um, one of my, she's kind of like a, an art crush, if you will. One of my art crushes, Layla Stevens, who re- recently won the Blake Prize mm. in um, uh, at Kasula Powerhouse. Um, she has a work which is actually like a takeoff of um, the iconic surfing film what's it called um with keanu reeves <laughs> is it that one no 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 oh, okay. it, it was it was one shot by an australian um uh point break <laughs> no. i actually don't know anything about the culture yeah. i'm sorry uh it was the first time basically this this film was made bali iconic oh. yeah yeah wow. and um Oh, it was Morning of the Earth. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And um, she she chose to reshoot that film again, but with 
women, fr- uh, Balinese surfers that who were women, and the whole film is not actually of them carving up, carving it up, or whatever, but like sitting, contemplating the water, uh, in the water, uh-huh. being submerged, mm. and this idea of, um, I guess, even reclaiming that story because you know, even it's their space, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's dope. Is that okay? So, it, am I going to interview someone in ten years, and they're going to be like, "Well, my art crush, Raina Takeuchi, <laughs> her legacy is this incredible work where, <laughs> like, like this? Is this going to happen?" I don't think so. Okay. I think I think that. Um, what is there I, a work yeah. that you have that you're imagining that is on this kind of level of re? de-seating what is the narrative and re-centering something else kind of but but it's been something that i think i wouldn't have done unless covid had happened and um i'm working with a with a um an artist-run initiative Mm -hmm. um from brisbane and we are or me engine if you will and um we're sort of looking at our narratives as people from um i guess like people of color and uh, I decided to make a work for our last exhibition, which was called Between Oceans. And it was basically like um, kind of collating all these postcards that my dad had and I had like sort of um, sent to each other. And this idea of, um, I guess, the the tenuous connections between different places. And then um, I like I stitched them onto a piece of fabric and then shot them sort of floating in um, the Newcastle sort of landscape. Mm. Um, And it was just really, it was funny because I'd always kind of hoped to use them in some way. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I could stitch these postcards into jackets or maybe people take them and then write a response or something. But then, um, and then I would kind of forget about it because it would feel a little bit too personal or it wasn't really like, the right time but then I think after COVID it it made me realize like okay these these kind of objects have become um almost ceremonial or relics maybe because of um the fact that we can only really traverse in our sort of like imagination at the moment you know yeah in in some ways yeah that makes a lot of sense it's much nicer than traversing across cyberspace (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to traverse in imagination. Yeah. Wow. What is your uh, agenda at 4A? <laughs> what is like, if you're a secret agent, what is your, for, like my agenda at Critical Path as my side curator's job uh, is... To what is it? To be in the conversation with artists who are maturing. What is the concept of digital contexts and embodiment and choreographic research within the onslaught of digital context? Mm-hmm. The pervasiveness of. Um, of algorithmic bias and things like that rather than uh, rather than where I think it 
often goes, which is um, middle managers thinking about office tools <laughs> and trying to get artists to use them. Yeah, I think that's the opposite, but I think that's the easiest thing because it's the most immediate. Yeah. And I also fight people when they when they call anything that I do or the artists that I represent do when they call it content mm. because that is for a different purpose, yeah. which is not the kind of imagination that we're talking about or the kind of expansive creation of the future. So tell me about now that I've blah, 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 my agenda. No, that's, it's, uh, it's interesting because I feel similar about the idea of making content as, you know, when someone says like, oh, it's my side hustle or like my money job or it kind of has this, this idea of, of consuming. Yeah. Right, yeah, I, yes. Yeah. I would say I want to see work. I don't want to see content. I want to see a piece. I don't want to see content. Yeah. I would like to eat a meal rather <laughs> than uh, content. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but tell me, what's your secret agenda? It doesn't even have to be secret. Mm-hmm. But what's your like radical agenda? I I think for me, I mean, I talked a little bit to Angela Go about this as well. Great um, person to talk to. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and I think I think she has a lot of really um, incredible and nuanced knowledge in these spaces between gallery and and kind of that liminal space between performing and choreographic research and um, how it might communicate to these institutions. I think. For me personally, I I really um, love my friends, <laughs> and I love I love um, yeah sort of people that are working choreographically and um, and really opening onto kind of experimental research and performance. And it doesn't necessarily have to be dancing per se, but um, I think there's something about performing and um, yeah dance making or or performance making that really does um, shift the way that we experience like art galleries and institutions, even though now it's become a little bit of a trope, I guess. But um, it's something that I think I hold close to my heart and I hope that um, it continues to be a part of um, the dialogue that happens within 4A and and other art galleries. But I think particularly with Foray, it was basically born out of being like an anti-racism organization. And then through that process, like experimental performance and um, I guess pushing the boundaries in terms of what people can perform because it it was quite a niche space where um, artists that felt kind of silenced in other institutional spaces like the Asia Pacific Triennial basically um, were like okay well these Asian Australian voices aren't being heard so let's just let's do our thing you know but then I think sometimes within growing larger and this is this is also something that even Vivian Westwood she talks about and being like I can't control my company you know (laughs) Um, it it just normally it just happens and I think um, that's what bringing in fresh ideas and and new emerging voices that that pushes um it back to or maybe not back to but it 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 allows what has been happening to re-emerge and reinvent itself Mm. yeah so if if okay it seems like you both you and i care about 
choreographic intelligence and sensitivity and the kind of togetherness that is enhanced by embodiment mm. and making space within institutions that classically perpetuate what has already happened mm. for these new new but classic uh, priorities mm. of people coming together to experience something transcendent <laughs> I would definitely I would definitely say that I mean um, just to come coming back to Angela <laughs> <laughs> actually I I was fascinated by when I looked at the audience, you know, there's there was this incredible cross section of people that were art shakers and movers in the dance community, mm. but also within the visual arts and contemporary art community. And mm. to be able to bring those kind of audiences together mm. and to allow them to initiate dialogue with one another, I think that's that's where the magic happens. And then, you know, having the beer and the burger afterwards and then people being like, what was that about? And then, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then that like shaking of of what it was, like what what dance means and what yeah. what being embodied and and reaching a transcendent place means. That, yeah, is destabilized and it's yeah. it's it's exciting. Um, I think that's what I I kind of have been doing a lot of research on Southeast Asian spaces. Of, of art making and, and sort of institutional practice. And because of the shaky territories within, you know, Indonesia, but also, um, yeah, maybe Singapore and a few other places, um, a lot of 24 or 48-hour events would normally take place. And that was that's sort of been because of the, the government restrictions and kind of this crackdown from... Um, you know the i guess the uh, uh military and also these other different things about not wanting to sort of step out of line mm. um and in that process a lot of like really exciting and um and transcendent work happens because you only have a have a short amount of time to experience something whereas i don't think i think especially with um Australian spaces we think about longevity and it's not necessarily going to bring about uh, well you'd hope that it brings about exciting work but it's going to be in a different way yeah yeah the assumption of longevity is particularly ironic in such a young nation yeah. Yeah. Uh, to assume that something will last that the housing market will always go up that the gallery that's been there for 50 years will be there for the next 700 years these kind of things mm. quite strange but then to rely on uh, economic riches that are built upon constant uh, expansion and building and construction so to expect that something's going to remain but then also to expect that everything has to be built all the time so that 
the, the system can keep functioning that is uh, that is some cognitive dissonance definitely <laughs> where people are like praying for a loved one to come through cancer but also knowing that actually it's going to be the chemotherapy that does it if anything does it at all mm-hmm. but they don't want to risk it so they'll just also do some press yeah. something yeah. like that yeah i think and i think that also comes from the dissonance that we feel culturally like that i've i've become more and more aware of having conversations with people and being and then it coming out that people feel quite unsettled because they don't know how to identify themselves within this landscape or um mm. or even do you think you're talking to different people i i hope than so you used to i think so like maybe yeah. there's less people on the sunshine coast that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and there's i don't know maybe not yeah or maybe it's generational as well maybe people just didn't think that they should talk about their feelings or their problems and our generation so. does think yeah. that the only way to fix something is to bring it up. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, and I do think maybe being around certain people reawakens those conversations. <laughs> I um, have a have a friend who, um, yeah, he, he said that he felt like around me he becomes a lot more woke, <laughs> which I, I didn't really <laughs> – I'm not sure if um, I – appreciated it <laughs> at the time but then but then I think there is something about that like if you're in a family that um that doesn't necessarily talk about those things at the dinner table you know um yeah. you're not necessarily going to realize that you're thinking about your own seat at the table That's true. to quote or, Solange <laughs> for example yeah. yeah or if you're in a family that doesn't sit down and have dinner together or if you're not in a family exactly. all of these things yeah what do you think about wokeness <laughs> it's definitely um i think there is something uh, i've i've had actually a lot of conversations with my colleague about this um i think there's something uh about being too woke yeah that it can slow down a connection with people or mm, and and after a while it it's like where where is it helpful or where is it where is it enhancing or um, creating an understanding? This is my question about all efforts. At what point, up until what point are my efforts going to be valuable to somebody else? And beyond that point, am I doing it for my own pleasure, which is also fine. Um, or am I doing it for some future value because that also happens where the value will be realized further in the future but or do I just have the this like completely unanswered question that keeps gnawing at me so I have to keep pursuing so that I can be settled in the understanding of it but and you have to ask who who you're doing that for is it is it for community is it for a specific person or a specific mm. group or is it for yourself and your own well-being? It's to get rich. <laughs> <laughs> it's to go to space. Yeah, exactly. To pick up on a conversation pick, we had two exactly, years earlier. two years earlier. I was like, now there's this guy who's bought all the tickets to space and I want a ticket. Yeah, that's still a plan, but I haven't enacted any of it. I'm sure it's your legacy. I mean, I did... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's my fate and destiny and will become my legacy. Hmm. Okay. Do you feel unsettled in that way that Pete, you were saying that you've been having more and more conversations with people that feel disconnected or unsettled? Yes, but uh, I had this thought as well, and this might be very complicit with working at an art organization that focuses on diaspora and diaspora mm. that maybe it's my job to feel unsettled on behalf <laughs> of all the artists that you'll work with and yeah. for and yeah okay yeah. i have a question this might be semantics but you would have dealt with it more than i have is there where like for diaspora dia di diaspora um, which diasporas are you not focused on and which are you focused on and how does that how does that decision get made is that within 4a or yeah, yeah. either within 4a like your curatorship at 4a or also when you're talking about um, making work with the trio or other things because you can't do everything like a map is not the world it's a representation of or a, a re reduction of or completely i mean i think i think it is an interesting um question because what being asian or asian australian means actually always shifts so you know we uh, the idea of being asian is actually just a construct and fully a construct right yeah, yeah. and um i think that um, in that way, I've kind of sort of noticed that I, I, I guess I am looking at um, looking at uh, my own lineage and the connections I have there, mm. and also the funny and sad sort of things that come up in conversations that I have with my friends who do also happen to be from different diasporas. Mm. But having said that, I. I wouldn't necessarily say that's specific to Asianness. Mm. I would say it's, you know, I have conversations with my friends who are Greek diaspora, and and actually the the diaspora as a as a framing and a lens actually emerged out of some of the Jewish histories, mm. and then it and then it was used um, specifically to Indian migrants, and it sort of has circulated, and the meaning of that has has shifted and um, something came up recently where um, Amrit, um, our director at 4A, used the term hyphenated identities. And that was just, I think that really hit the mark in terms of uh, imagining, you know, we're not, we, of course, we're not able to speak on behalf of anyone, but we can um, extend tenderness and like, and sort of um, hold space for, the idea of being a hyphenated person and identity, whether that's um, you know, gender or 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 cultural lineage or or even being fragmented by this crazy life that we live. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like you're fragmented by your job titles, then you're fragmented by your relationship titles, and then you're fragmented by your ancestral genetic national mm. ownerships like to different nation states damn do you think your children will think of themselves as Australian or as hyphenated 
And did you always think of yourself as hyphenated or did you think of yourself as... Anyway, this is other questions. I, I didn't think I ever really thought about it as hyphenated because at uni I was kind of even looking at... I was doing little films and I think I showed you a little bit in the yeah, past. Yeah, that was like, great. Of things in Japan and, and kind of dabbling on different um, sort of ideas and kind of almost like sketches of, of mm. these experiences. And my tutors didn't really know how to respond to it. Like they would just sort of give me a reference for an artist, but they wouldn't necessarily know. Yeah, I mean, obviously if we're not reading into that um, – uh, if we're not coming from the same sort of perspective, how can we how can we know, you know? And that comes, that's something that even if you define yourself as incredibly woke, it's not necessarily going to going to speak to you. Can't speak to every experience, you know. Um, and I think that uh, I was thinking about uh, the the idea of having like like children that or, or the next generation and. Um, I had a I had a had someone that I met recently that said something like, "Oh, do you think your mother was like, um, kind of shocked when she gave birth to a different race, you know?" And I I don't think it meant to come out that way, but then it made me really think because okay, what what does it mean then when you're thinking about, um, you know, identifying your child or your or the next generation and maybe. And similar to how, you know, you might be good at sports, but then your child isn't very good at sports. Like mm. you just have to roll with the punches, I guess. <laughs> so if your child doesn't surf and can't dance, it's going to be rough. I do really imagine <laughs> imagine bringing my child to the ocean. But yeah. having said that, I wouldn't necessarily think of them dancing or I hope yeah. that they find dancing in their own way rather than, Yeah. For me, yes, I think exactly the same that I hope they find dancing in their own way, but that's because I found dancing in my own way. And I feel like if somebody had told me to dance, I would not have wanted to. And it's just because I saw some boys being being what I wanted to be. Then it proved that it was possible. I didn't know you could get paid for it, though. I just thought it was something that'd be awesome to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh. That's right, it's still working. Now, I did write some notes to make sure that I covered everything because I had questions oh for you. I know, tell me about it. That's so... I just, like, I think it's crazy for me to... A bit surreal for me to be, like, Matt Cornell's writing notes for me. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. We're peers, right? Mm. And we're, we're peers within the same, the same community. Mm. So my notes... Like, You'll lol at this. <laughs> Ambition, question mark. <laughs> Problematizing, question mark. <laughs> Aesthetic inspiration and embodiment. <laughs> so I want to know what you are hoping. What is your biggest hope for all of your efforts that you're putting into making work? First of all, let's just talk about making work yourself as an artist, mm. as a choreographer under your own name, mm. not fighting the good fight for other artists just yet. What's your biggest hope? Um, gosh, it's like it's like cracking open a, a big box, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pandora's box. Um, I think that my biggest hope would be 
making work that speaks to some of these um i guess speaks to beauty and and finding um finding language that kind of articulates some of these really um the the experiences that can't be articulated and i think um not to not to stray away from dancing but um i think of ocean vuong who who wrote um on on earth we're briefly gorgeous and he kind of talks about how he found language which was his own writing practice and it was because his family couldn't articulate um you know go to the store and order for themselves and then that caused a lot of uh, um i guess uh i guess even trauma within his own family and i think that um potentially having or creating and carving out practice that actually mm. supports that yeah. would be incredible but what that looks like i'm not sure i even love that what i do my family doesn't understand because then it's mine mm. and my friends and my peers and my colleagues and okay but mm. I also think now that you've told me about this story, I relate to it in the way that I remember deciding to study dance at university and what was the word like legitimizing that decision to myself by saying, even if I never work a day in that field, mm. I will be... Uh, I'm going to live in this body for the rest of my life. And so it would be nice to be able to, to have it, to own it, to, to, to understand it, to enjoy it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, luckily someone employed me, so I got to be a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I remember us having a conversation like a few years ago about how you sort of said that if you thought, or if you knew what the 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 future would entail, or what what that studying would have looked like, yeah, <laughs> no, it's the only way to go in blind and yeah. just hold on. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And then you come out the other side re reshaped <laughs> somehow, holding on for dear life, really. Yeah, why yeah. Not? for sure. And yeah. then you wonder what part of you that went in survived to come out the other side. Yeah. And hopefully, almost nothing. Hopefully, the like the the recreate the the dissolve the the hopefully it's the butterfly situation where you completely dissolve and reform. Yeah. And you are the same you. Yeah. But you um but you somehow you don't have to crawl anymore. I don't know. Yeah. No, completely. I mean, I think um. It feels feels silly to bring this up now, but I've I've just like commenced my PhD at uni and congratulations. Thank you. That sounds horrifying. It's really horrifying, <laughs> and I was thinking of this process just as <laughs> as you were mentioning this like kind of like um, mutilated chrysalis or something yeah, and yeah. reemerging, and yeah. also having to justify why you're reemerging again and coming into that. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk just a little bit? You don't have to know. You might not know yet because we are constantly groping for the ineffable <laughs> and then that is the process of making art and then we make something and we show it to people and then they're like, hey, this was this. And you're like, how was it? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, what 
do you think that your work and your efforts or what do you hope that they are problematizing? Because mm. I know that you uh, see power in speaking to beauty and leveraging mm. the beautiful creations that entrance, entrance, enchant mm. the viewer. And I imagine that's to cradle them while you problematize something for them. Mm. Yeah. What is that that you're hoping to problematize? I think uh, probably to reconcile some of these these experiences that we can't quite articulate mm. in terms of um, this the disjointedness that we feel mm. as um, people that are within Asia but not Asian, <laughs> and um, and also whether we even fit within that space and what what that's going to look like yeah, into the future. Even if we're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, not that I, I mean, initially, maybe a few years ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would stay working within this and really slogging it out within um, kind of an Asian-Australian context, but it's become really um, significant just even thinking about um, what it means for different people. Like, it might not necessarily mean something to to me all the time or to to specific members of the community but then you have these conversations that are usually over food like over pho or um mm. an udon or something and it comes out that you know someone's someone's trying to reconcile what it is to live in a body that's that's hyphenated that's transcultural and that the practice that's what it's doing for them and then you're like Hey, I want to support that. I want to help you help you do that. And I think that's what being yeah, being a carer, being a curator mm. and practicing friendship is. Yeah. And now that we've talked about problematizing, can you tell me about your ambition? <laughs> I in ambition in what what sense? <laughs> I don't know. I just at the start of the year, I got one of these calendars and I like a yearly calendar and I wrote some keywords on it for me yeah. to remind myself that it's okay to have ambition yeah. and that that is what changes the world is when yeah. people have it um, and that you can rally people around ambition. Yeah. And yeah. so I would like to hear you articulate your ambition. <laughs> Because I feel it, but I haven't heard you say mm. where it's pointed or what the compass is that's directing yeah. it. It's so funny with um, ambition. I think that I think <laughs> I think of the uh, my Capricorn self, but also <laughs> the self that was before COVID. And um, talking to so many practitioners, it's almost like they've kind of lost that sense of hoping for a direction because it's it's like this um, disparity between what was. And what is now, I think, is is quite difficult to grapple with in many different ways. Um, and I kind of think of my my grandmother a lot, and she had a she has a um, her house was a, an artist studio in Japan, and she worked as a calligrapher. And she's passed away a couple of years ago now, but um, that place still exists. And I think I think of that space in different modes in my mind, and I think that's for some reason I always think of that as my ambition and it's because it's not necessarily like um 
it's not necessarily a goal or a or a um or a set set ambition but it's something that feels very tangible in my mind as something that was a cultural center for herself and um and members of the the community that wanted to practice calligraphy and um as a as a japanese woman as well she wasn't able to um she wouldn't have been able to sort of practice in as an artist if um uh if she'd had like a conventional sort of marriage and this kind of thing so the the whole that process was the gateway for me to come into practice and and she was the one that taught me how to use brushes so I think um even coming back to ambition and legacy that's something that is really potent but what that looks like in terms of a tangible goal outcome who knows knows? yeah but in a way you are her legacy I don't know I don't know I'm not sure if she would be looking down thinking that (laughs) Okay. Or looking looking sideways, Side depending on where she is. Yeah. I have a question about when you were saying that there was a time before you thought about being hyphenated, before you felt, or it was a, before it was a problem mm-hmm. that needed to be solved and approached and cared for and considered and written about and danced about. Mm-hmm. What? Do you feel like you have the freedom to make work as Raina? Or do you feel like everything you make has to be fighting the fight of the hyphenated person of colour, what is Asia, Mm. female? Mm. Like, there's a lot of banners to carry there. Yeah, yeah. I I think that... uh, And this this probably comes out of sort of looking at a lot of um, contemporary dance practitioners who work across like Amrita, mm-hmm. Ange, like um, so many people. And I think, I think that, you know, as a woman, you are carrying a lot already. The <laughs> world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to extricate yourself from the, um, the experience of, Okay, you're a woman. You're a, you're a woman of cross cultural heritage. But, yeah, but I think some people make yeah. work about it. Yeah, and some people are completely disinterested and have managed yeah. to find a way that they can make work that is not um, part of that is not about it. Of course, it mm. Uh, mm. all of our work, all work is made by someone who has a legacy that they uh, sorry an ancestor that they didn't choose yeah, yeah but some people are like this is my work that speaks to these intersectional problematics mm. and some people are like this is my work that hopes to distort your feeling of time yeah 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 i i i definitely i definitely um <laughs> can understand completely um that feeling because it's something that I'm still trying to grapple with, I think. And actually, I've come to identify that, okay, when I'm working within an organization that puts that first, oh, yeah. then I am doing that. Uh-huh. But when I'm in my practice and when I'm a collaborator, yeah. when I'm my own thinker, yeah. I make sure that I'm I'm focusing on what the work is doing and mm. how I can support 
support the work and the ideas that are forming between between um, the group and and with myself first yeah and do you feel like yeah. there's space for you to do that or do you feel like sometimes you have to make a point to tell people that are like programming you in that it's it's a stretch I think yeah, sometimes okay. yeah it's it's something that you know I, I think it's a drafting process even like mm. you think about um, you th- and I think a process of that is um, maybe like even when you're placing something as a score. Yes, yeah. And things are very like, oh, that's a little bit, you know, cut and pasted into that spot. And then suddenly you work through it, you come back over months or, or weeks or months mm. and slowly that gets refined. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I'm excited to see the work that you're going to make under your name rather than f- flying under a um there's like this excellent saying bad art is not good advocacy yeah but good art is always good advocacy yeah and so actually if the art's real good then it can do its own yeah thing definitely mm. yeah it's really um it it's great i mean i i came across a similar quote recently actually which yeah. was um you know we love good themed work like if it's if it's good work that's good and if it's themed work then you know it's good but if it's if it's good themed work oh, then nice. it's it's great and it's viscous yeah, 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 yeah. and and luscious and um luscious is the yeah okay, yeah that's a great is there anything that i haven't asked you that you want to touch on don't think so okay i mean i think um yeah i'd love to and this is also part of what I'm interested in. Yes. I would love to be able to interview you after this whole situation is finished. Not tonight, obviously. Okay. But <laughs> we, have like, a, we have a show to go yeah. on. <laughs> we have to support our friends who are yes. in the industry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But why, what can I offer your interests? Just being fresh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Slick so, 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 hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moment. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Thank you very much. Right yeah. Now. Thanks so much, Matt. <laughs>